You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Wording. There are so many spoilers that are about to be in this pod. There are spoilers for the fifth episode of Hawkeye, and there are spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home, so just be warned. Spider-Man No Way Home is absolutely packed and packed and packed with stuff that happens. And if you haven't seen that movie, you need to go see it now before you listen to this, because the, the amount of spoilers that will be in here as we discuss this film, it's ridiculous. So go watch that movie and then come back to us. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcio. Welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. Joining me today, it had to be Rosie. It had to be Rosie Knight. We had to bring her back. It had to be her to talk about this movie with me. Rosie, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I saw the movie. I can't believe it. Is it real life that we saw this movie? They really did it. I mean, we 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 high-fived after the movie and we're like, I can't believe they did it. And they did it. <laughs> they did it. So here's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. First, recap and a discussion of episode five of Hawkeye. Next, in the airlock, we're going to be diving deep into the multiversal madness of No Way Home. In Nerd Out, a fan pitches us on the novel Swords Point and in the end game. Yet another round of assembly required. First up, Hawkeye. Welcome to Previously On. Uh, Let's talk about episode five of Hawkeye, titled Ronin, directed by Burton Birdie, written by Jenna Noel Frazier. Just again, a disclaimer, if you haven't seen episode five of Hawkeye yet, it's great, but definitely watch it first. Mm -hmm. And if you want to jump ahead to our Spider-Man No Way Home discussion, feel free to do that. But definitely if you have not seen Hawkeye episode five yet, don't listen to this portion of it. Okay. Recap. Um, we open in 2018, somewhere in Europe, after the events of the movie Black Widow, Yelena and another Widow program escapee Sonia break into the mansion of yet another person from the Widow program named Anna. They fight with her. They give her the red dust antidote, but it doesn't do anything. And she's just like, why'd you guys spill this weird red shit on my carpet? What the fuck? And then it turns out, Uh, She can afford this mansion because she's been doing hits for someone who, I'm guessing it's Bishop Security, right? Yeah, it seems, as we get further into the episode, it will seem like it's Bishop Security or Sloan Limited, whatever you want to call them. There's an Ellen and Bishop connection here. I agree. Later, Yelena tells Anna that uh, she's been all around the world after the events of Black Widow, freeing lots of ex-widows. Um, talk turns to Natasha. This makes uh, Yelena a little uncomfortable. She goes to the bathroom to wash her hands, and then she gets snapped. And immediately, from her perspective, she is reconstituted in the same room, only now the room has been uh, painted and it's completely differently decorated because, of course, it's been five years. She wanders out, and there she sees Anna, and now Anna is there with her partner and the child that 
her and her partner have adopted, who I contend is quite possibly Riri Williams as a child, but who knows? Uh, and then Anna basically explains what's been going on. And she's like, hey, you know, you need money now. Why don't you pick up some contract work, girl? Why don't you just go out and kill some people? You're trained for it. Uh, Yelena goes to New York to find Natasha. But, of course, uh, Natasha passed away on Vormir. Um, and later in Black Widow, at the end of the Black Widow movie in The Stinger, we will see that Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine tells Yelena that it was Clint Barton that killed her sister and basically is like, hey, I'll set you up with a contract to kill Clint Barton if you want. We go to the present. Kate returns to her mom's penthouse, her mom, Eleanor's penthouse, after the fight with Yelena and Maya on the roof outside Maya's apartment. She's upset because... You know, she thought that she was going to be Clint's partner in fighting crime, but obviously that is now broken up because Clint feels it's too dangerous. Uh, Eleanor comforts her, tends to her bruises. Now, Eleanor asks Kate, does Clint think you're a superhero? This bumped me a little bit. I want to run a theory by you, Rosie. Go Marks. for it. I'm ready. After the Chitari invasion killed her husband, the father of Kate, Eleanor then goes off and starts Bishop Security and builds that up into quite a powerhouse uh, company in the security sphere. My theory is she hates super people because of what they did. This is like they killed her husband, wrecked her home, almost killed her and her daughter. She feels that they're a menace. And I think there's a world in which she's asking Kate this because she hates superheroes and she's actively trying to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. She wants to kill them and she's starting with Clint. I think that you're right. And I think that it ties in tonally to a lot of what the Netflix Marvel shows did, where it was like, what is the impact for the people whose families died? Right. What is the impact of the Battle of New York? How did it destroy people? And what did that make them do? And so I think with the way that this episode goes, Spider-Man No Way Home, like some things that happen, I think that we're in a situation where you are really onto something. And I think it's a really interesting twist on Eleanor, who in the comics, you know, she is this puppet master behind Madame Mask. Yeah. But giving her this more personal anti-superhero vendetta is very interesting. I wonder if she's the MCU Madame Mask. I wonder if she's just Madame Mask. It would make sense, especially if you do it in a more MCU grounded way where it's the the mask is the dual life. It's the it's the double. Yeah. It's, yeah, and and... And her connections to some other famous crime bosses would make you think that she yes. probably has a lot of credit in the in the bad guy world, which, you know, Madame Mask would have. Madame Mask would absolutely have. So Kate is like, listen, you know, man, I really thought I could be one of them, meaning superheroes. And Eleanor is like, you know, listen, when things fall apart, you just need to uh, you need to keep moving forward. And you're my daughter. And I know who you're becoming. You're becoming someone uh, great, but not necessarily a superhero. Kate then tells Eleanor, listen, we've been doing some digging into Jack and he's involved with this money laundering front, Sloan Limited. Eleanor's like, OK, I'll look into it. And she tells Kate. Also, by the way, you're moving back into the house. Elsewhere, uh, Kazi tends to Maya after the fight on the rooftop. He uh, is like, listen, you got to stop acting like such a fucking badass all the time. Okay, it's me. <laughs> like, we know each other. Like, you don't have to, like, be this, this tough person all the time. Maya tells him, hey, you know what was really weird? There was this other woman on the roof, and it's clear that Clint and uh, Kate didn't know her either. Um, it's a strange piece of the puzzle. Meanwhile, Kazi wants Maya to promise that after they take care of the Ronin, that she'll just stop 
with this, whatever this, like, revenge mission is, because it's bad. Kate returns to her fire-damaged apartment to find, oh, look at this, it's Yelena eating mac and cheese out of a pot. Um, <laughs> this is a great scene, first of all, because, one, Haley Steinfeld and Florence Pugh are just They're really so good. good. They're so <laughs> good. They're so good. They're so good. They're so good. <laughs> I love how dismissive Yelena is of Kate as any kind of threat to her. She's like, listen, I mean, she's just like, yeah, let's eat out of the same pot. Like, I know we fought on the rooftop, but I could kill you literally anytime I want. Like, I am not worried about you even a little bit. Like, go for your boat. <laughs> it's not happening. It doesn't bother me even a little. Uh, we learn that Yelena loves a shocking amount of sriracha hot sauce on her, mm-hmm. on her mac and cheese. And she tells Kate, uh, listen, my first time in New York, I'm going to see the sites. I'm going to see the tree. I'm going to go to Fifth Avenue. Uh, yeah, I'm going to see the Empire State Building. Oh, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to kill Clint Barton. That's why I'm here. She also spills that she knows everything about Kate. She knows her grade point average. You know, <laughs> yeah, like everything. Knows literally her mom everything. lives. Like everything yeah, she needs lives. to know, she knows it. She knows that she uh, saved a dog, which I think helps her, uh, Yelena said, helps her in her eyes. And then uh, she continues with, hey, I'm here to assassinate Clint, by the way. Why? Uh, because I'm Natasha Romanoff's sister and uh, Clint uh, caused her death in some way. And also, did you know he killed the, so many people that it's an ocean of blood if you were yeah. to put all of their blood like in one container? Uh, and of course, uh, Kate tries to, to say, no, Clint's a hero. Uh, and it's also clear that Yelena not a fan of the Avengers, although to be fair to her, she kind of wasn't around when they were doing their best mm-hmm. work. She was blipped out. It, and it raises an interesting question. Is it like widely known what happened on Vormir? You think, Rosie? Like people clearly know that Natasha passed. So they must. I'm not sure that like the exact how and why is like known to people. There's something about what has happened between Endgame and now and the blip. That means that there is a lot more information out there because something else that kind of adds to this is in a minute we'll get to where, you know, Clint goes to the Avengers Memorial, right? But it says Natasha yeah. Romanoff. It doesn't say yes. Black Widow, you know, right. so her name is out there. Obviously, Elena could know because of Val or whatever nefarious stuff, you know, Val, information sure. Val has. But I think there's some kind of heroic historical representation kind of hinted at with like Rogers the musical where more of this information is getting out now and for some reason there's some kind of public knowledge of what went on to stop Thanos maybe just because you know half the world got blipped back into existence so people like Mm. probably want to (laughs) know Yelena talks about how eager she is to go Clint and asks Kate where is he Kate says I don't know and Yelena believes her uh, Clint, meanwhile, is crashing at Grill's apartment with Lucky the Pizza Dog. He's like, listen, I'm going to get a hotel. Could you look after the dog? And Grill's is like, no way, man. What are you talking about? You sleep on my bed. I'll sleep on the couch. You sleep in my bed. And Clint's like, no, I'll, I'll sleep on the couch. It's fine. Uh, back at Eleanor's, we see the cops escorting Jack away, who, by the way, is like taking all this in with a plume, is not even a little bit flustered by I this. I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Tell me. Tony Dalton. Icon. I want him in every MC movie. I love Swordsman. I love Jack. And I think, I think Jack is a good guy. And not just do I think. I like it. And not just do I think that Jack is like a patsy. I think Jack is like a deep shield agent. And or some. Yeah. There's something about the ease with which he takes it. 
And the absolute lack of surprise. Yeah, not concerned even a little. He's like, somebody framed yeah. me, obviously, and I'm going to prove it. And we we can guess who framed him because Im- this happens immediately after Kate brings suspicions about Sloan Limited. So it seems very easy for Eleanor to immediately say, oh, this is the man. It's, it's him. Yeah. You know, he's, I think there's more to him that meets the eye. And let me just add this also. Eleanor, the CEO of a quite powerful private security firm and she didn't do any digging into the guy she's mm-hmm. dating no she knew she knew like she 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 knew right or she put his name on that sloan limit absolutely she knew you know she knew clint is walking around the city he goes over to grand central station to uh, the site of the former stark tower where he finds a plaque commemorating the avengers defense of the city he takes out his hearing aid and he talks directly to Natty. He says, you were the bravest of all of us, weren't you? You can tell he's really mad at her. He misses her, but he's also mad at her for sacrificing her life when he feels like it should have been him, mm-hmm. especially considering all the murdering he was doing <laughs> during that time. The particular it should have like, been, been him. I agree. I don't even like Black Widow and I agree. It should have been him. Yeah, and clearly he feels that way. Um, And then he apologizes to her for, quote, what I'm about to do. And then he puts his hood up, signaling to us that the Ronin has returned. And he walks off. Kate uh, wakes up and it's a brand new day with brand new energy. And she's not giving up and she's not going to stop being Clint's partner. She gets on the phone. Uh, just like that scene in Swingers in which John Favreau calls his ex a million times <laughs> and she leaves a million messages on Clint's phone about Jack, about being a hero, about what she plans to do until she fills up his voicemail. Meanwhile, uh, Thomas and Ivan of the tracksuits are driving in a moving van across town. They're talking about whether or not they look like the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the characters from the Royal Tenenbaums. And uh, then all of a sudden, an arrow smashes into the windshield and the arrow contains a note. It says, Maya, meet me tonight where you first met Ronan alone. Uh, Clint calls Laura. And he tells her, listen, uh, this problem is just not going away. It's bigger than we thought. Maya has the watch. She's been investigating us. And someone has hired a Black Widow assassin. He's concerned that the family's cover might be blown and that the, quote, big guy might be involved. Laura is like, do what you got to do. Follow your gut. Okay, I have a question. So the watch, I think it's connected to Laura Mm -hmm. somehow and that for some reason people don't realize that Laura is maybe still alive or, you know, somehow she effectively got out of whatever national security kind of situation Mm -hmm. she was in and managed to uh, get rid of her identity and has been laying low and the family, their location is unknown to people as well. There's a missing piece though somehow because if that's the case – why is Hawkeye like prancing around New York with his kids going to like Rogers the musical and he's one of the most famous people in the world to the point that people are walking up to him and coming up to him in Chinese restaurants and being like, hey, thanks for saving the world. I think that the uh, the hiding in plain sight aspect of this seems very misguided when the two yeah. I, I, th- I think that the, I, the uh, my reading of it is whatever Laura was involved in. Yeah. Was a very, very long time ago. To the point where it's like, you know, Tony Stark didn't know who she was or that she existed. He didn't know where he said, this is an agent of some kind. Like, how would we not know about this? So I think they got a little bit comfortable. And the watch Mm. is basically waking them up. I do have a theory after this episode, though. If it was, as I have proposed, as we talked about, something to do with S.H.I.E.L.D., right? The watch, and it would blow her cover. Why would 
the big guy, a.k.a. the man that we are assuming is Kingpin. Why would he care? What if? Yeah. What if? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What if when Clint was talking to Kate in the house, he says to her, the best shot was the one I didn't take. And then there's a silence. And then Kate like says, this. oh, is it Natasha? You know, do you mean Natasha? Or, and he goes, yeah, it's Natasha or whatever. And I wonder if it was actually about Natasha and I wonder if it was also about Laura because Laura actually worked for Kingpin. I wonder if that's what it was and that's how they met or something like that. Because Kingpin's the kind like of person that. who would have a tracker. It would subvert kind of what we thought. It would also explain how she could maybe get into some kind of witness protection-esque program. And I just, I wonder if that's going to be the twist. Because the one thing I don't get is, you know, why would the big man get involved and why would he care who Laura Barton is really? Like what, what, what connection does he have? Unless the other option is she was involved in something to take the kingpin down. But I, I kind of yeah. like the idea that maybe she had a, a darker side as well. Cause she also says during that conversation, like she says something like, no matter what you do, like just know yeah. I will understand more than anyone else. And that makes it sound like she's an assassin or something. Let me posit this to you. Okay. So in the comics, uh, particularly in the in the Daredevil run, uh, the kind of like, I guess, late 80s, early 90s Daredevil run depictions of Kingpin. Kingpin had an ex-wife, Vanessa, that he loved very much, who disappeared, who, who was scared of him and ran away from him. Oh, and my God. And he has been searching for her. He's always looking for her. And Daredevil, in various tellings of this story, knows where she is and goes to talk to her when he needs information about Kingpin. And, and, but he's always protecting, like, where she is. Do we think there is a world in which Laura Barton is Kingpin's ex, I mean, the MCU version of Vanessa? I want to live in that world because that is a great theory. That is like, so, and imagine if the watch was like something he gave her as a gift, but it had the tracking device in it, you know? Dude, I hope that's what it is. That's definitely my favorite Hawkeye theory so far. Okay, well, let's stay tuned and let's see. Okay. At the fat man used car lot, which Wilson named it that himself. So that's fine. But it's a little mean. Anyway, Clint yeah. dressed as the Ronin, takes out all of uh, Maya's henchies, which, guys, Maya, you got to train these guys a little better. It's it, They're not good. I mean, also, he's basically like Batman in this scene. Like, he's <laughs> yeah. like disappearing. He's like, yeah. he's pulling people under. It's ridiculous. Hawk Hawkeye was never that useful when he was not the Ronin. So, like, good for him, I guess. But yeah, train them better. Train them better. Come on. Uh, Clint and Maya fight. I mean, Clint fights her with the sword out, which feels a little aggressive to me, considering like what his actual like angle mm -hmm. is here. He beats her. He unmasks uh, because he wants her to see his face. And he says, listen, any threat to my family will be dealt with with extreme prejudice. And anyway, listen, you and I are the same. We're weapons. We are easily manipulated because we're filled with rage. Don't let that happen to you. And he tells her, listen, here's another tip for you, okay? I was there when your dad was killed. I was there that night when the tracksuits got attacked. I was tipped off by an informant who works for your boss. The implication being the boss wanted your dad dead, and now he's using you for ends similar to those to cover it up or whatever. Maya's like, I don't believe it. Uh, she attacks uh, grabs Clint's sword and attacks him, but then Kate fires an arrow and uh, disarms Maya, and then Kate and uh, Clint take an Uber out of town. So let me let me ask, <laughs> who is the informant who works for the boss who tipped off Clint, you think? I do think it's Kazi. Okay. I do, because when we see Maya on the night, she is 
the same. She is similar age to as she is now. And I think it adds this really deep personal betrayal because they've been friends since they were kids. They were both raised by uncle. Right. You know, so Kazi has his own personal relationship to the man that we're assuming is Kingpin. And I could imagine that he would have done this thing that he regrets so deeply. And that's why he's kind of so obsessed with protecting Maya and kind of making up for it. So I think that that is is a likely option or a very good red herring. Either way, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, Maya goes to see Kazi. Uh, and she's like, hey, uh, so, uh, yeah, the <laughs> night that uh, the Ronan attacked the tracksuits and my dad was killed, you were supposed to be there, right? You're my dad's second in command. Where the, where were you? And Kazi's like, what? He's like, I, I didn't mean, get the call. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, you could come up with a better idea. I was um, uh, out of town on a date uh, with oh, uh, so my, my girlfriend my at girlfriend the time from Canada. Met. I don't know. I guess. <laughs> You know, like, how dare you, Maya? Like, what the fuck? And Maya is, of course, uh, extremely doubtful about this. She drives off. She's screwing. Later, uh, Kate tells Clint that she spoke to Yelena, who they fought on the roof, and that uh, it's Natasha's sister. And Clint knows of her. Really weird response. He just goes, okay. Which I felt very loaded for whatever reason. Like, I don't know what he knows of Yelena, I, I would assume that Natasha has talked about her at length and that they have talked about it. They had that kind of relationship where they shared that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Meanwhile, uh, Yelena is out there trailing Eleanor through the streets. Back at Grills, Kate and Clint are seeing the tricks that Grills has taught Lucky. <laughs> Kate gets a text from an unknown person. I think it's Yelena, right? Yes, I think so. And it is a picture of Eleanor with a man. And Kate's like, who is this guy? And Clint's like, that's the guy I've been talking about this whole time. And then we see the screen of the phone and it's Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Vizca Kingpin. I love Vincent so much. It's so good. I mean, they really did a brilliant job lining this one up. And as we will get into with Spider-Man, it becomes, it's a very timely choice. It's a thing. It's a whole thing. Okay, so let's go into some of these questions. What exactly is Eleanor's role in all of this? And do we think that it was legitimately Clint who attacked the tracksuits and killed Maya's dad? I do think it was Clint. I think that the fact that he knows Kingpin's been talking about big guy, I think Clint may have been in some way connected with or working for Kingpin. Because in the comics, it's Kingpin who orchestrates the death of of Maya's dad. So this goes with the comics. And I think that for whatever reason, you know, Ronan was a serial killer, right? So he didn't have great logic. He could have been like, well, Fisk wanted them wiped out and it went along with my hatred of bad guys. Or Fisk said, you know, I'll let Laura and you go if you kill these Mm. people for me. You know, so I do think it was Clint, but I do think it was under the tutelage or in exchange for, it was something to do with Kingpin. And I think like that's going to be a big reveal in the next episode. Mm. Okay, Yelena. So when last we saw Yelena at the end of Black Widow, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, the Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine was presenting her with a tablet with a picture of Clint on it saying, Clint uh, killed your sister. What's the linkage between uh, the Contessa and and Bishop Security, you think? This is what I want to know. Are they saying that 
Val is working for Kingpin slash Eleanor. Is that connected? Because it seems like she, when they said, oh, look into who ordered that hit. And then Yelena's like, I found out it was your mom. I couldn't tell whether Elena was lying to try and pit Kate and uh, Eleanor against each other. But I don't think that's the case. I feel like Yelena and Kate have a good chemistry. They kind of trust each other in a weird, suspicious way. So I'm trying to work out if Eleanor and Kingpin, who we now know are kind of in cahoots or at least know each other well enough to be photographed together, are they the ones putting together the Dark Avengers? Like, is Bishop Security Mm. the space where they're trying to build this team? And instead of having a Norman Osborn or something, you're going to have Kingpin as your kind of overseer. Oh, as like, your dark rain figure. As your, exactly, your dark rain figure. Like, I, I, I'm really interested. That is the biggest question that I want to see answered in the next episode because it seemed very much like Val was the one in charge. But this reveal kind of hints that Kingpin has been puppet mastering things much further outside of just the TV shows. Now... I wonder if it's this. This is what I've been thinking of because it was it was a little a little suspicious to me how much Elena was really investigating Eleanor. I wonder if it's that if the Contessa went to Elena and said, "Okay, here I have a mission. I need you to in, I need you to get inside and investigate Bishop Security mm. um, and find out like what the links are to organized crime as a bonus." you get to kill Clint Barton in the in the course of mm. doing your mission because they want that. They're looking for an assassin to do that anyway, and I want to know who they are. So yeah. it's a two-for-one for you. You go in, you get to kill Clint, and you also get to investigate these people who are potentially bad. That's very likely and very smart, I think. Basically, that Yelena is the mole for Val, and Val is like, but you actually do want to do the mission, so just do it as well. Because I'm right. not a this is not a good person. She's a morally great person. If you want to kill this Avenger, fine. I'm fine with that. But also, can you tell me who the fuck these people are and what they're doing? I wonder if you think Jack Duquesne, the swordsman, is working for Val too? Maybe that could be an interesting kind of if it's Val, like from the comics, where it's like at one point she was entangled with S.H.I.E.L.D. or Nick Fury yeah. or something. So in that way, he was maybe a leftover. I think he could be so deep undercover that he's a leftover from before S.H.I.E.L.D. in, Mm. you know, Captain America 2. Like, I think this could be a, he's been deep undercover in the crime world of New York, fell for Eleanor and was like, maybe I can fix her or, you know, maybe, (laughs) maybe not. But, you know, it seems to be going well for me. Like nothing, these tracksuit mafia, what do they even do? They don't seem that bad. And lo and behold, he's now caught in this kind of seemingly world-ending superhero drama of Kingpin. (laughs) Uh, and then final question, when Clint goes to the plaque, which can we get the Avengers a bigger plaque? Like it's fine, but is that even a monument? Like just the plaque? Yeah. Like that's all is just like this plaque. Anyway, it's weird. Um, (laughs) he apologizes to Natasha for what he's about to do, but what is that? Because it doesn't seem, okay. So he's going to contact Maya and be like, Hey, don't do that. Like, just stop looking for me. I, I wonder what it is. Natasha died because she believed that Clint could be a better person. And he had this family. Oh, that's and a good And he could call. forget the Ronin. And, yeah. and he basically put the Ronin suit back on and went and threatened a 20-year-old or 25. Yeah, and threatened some young girl who's just in this really same position that he was in and that Natasha was in. And he used the thing that he was meant to be kind of forgetting. And I think that that would be my, my guess of, of what he was kind of emotionally trying to connect to 
fantastic episode, man. Ever since uh, episode three, Hawkeye has really oh. just gone up, up, up and up. The action stuff with Maya and the way that yes. they, the way they've built in Alakwa's prosthetic as a way for her to always be able to kick the shit out of Clint. Yes. Anytime he hits her with that sword, it just hits that prosthetic. Boom. It's like my favorite thing. I just, the action in this show is just so cool. And balancing that with the emotional beats and the kind of these big reveals, like that Kingpin reveal is huge. It was, it was it's really, huge. really big. But they just did it in such a cool way. Agreed. And so like the question is where, and it's a similar question with a, another character that is in No Way Home, which uh, we will talk about in the No Way Home segment. The question is where in Daredevil's arc are we meeting him? So, you know, in the, in the Netflix series, he's the, he's the kingpin of crime. Like he is the Don of New York. He's an extremely powerful figure, um, at the top of the food chain of New York organized crime, not only organized crime, but also like New York business interests. He is just like well-connected. Is that the kingpin that we are meeting now, or is this the kingpin that's just on his rise and has not yet like beaten down and subdued the other organized crime families and kind of, and turned them into his own family. I, I, ju I just wonder where yeah. he is. What, what are I, your thoughts? I think he's, I think he's been at the top. I think the Netflix stuff exists. I think okay. he got taken down either by a different crime family or by Matt. He got taken down some pegs and he's on the rise in a more, like Hawkeye knows he's the big guy. Hawkeye's yeah. terrified of him. He's made his mark. He, people know who he is, but there's something that happened that means he's having to make this comeback in a different way. It could be, the twist could be him and Eleanor are doing something legitimate together because right. Kingpin has been legitimate at some points. So that would be really scary because if he's coming up as a political candidate, a mayoral candidate or something, that could be something that would be really awful for her to have to prove yeah. that there's this evil guy. And I, oh no, that's, you know, stand up member of the community. But I think he's been big. I think Netflix Daredevil show is still generally something that we we can look back to but he's making a he's he's on his second rise to power. I like that. I will say that this is a very 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 minor detail from Spider-Man No Way Home. Um but I guess technically a spoiler. But I will say that so the Department of Damage Control who's been around ever mm -hmm. since uh you know Spider-Man uh, Homecoming is kind of a more active entity now in the MCU and in the comics, at least, the Department of Damage Control, which dealt with, you know, salvage work and construction work in the wake of these superhero battles in which they go in, they'd salvage alien materials, alien weapons, and also, like, fix any damage that had been done, was a business partnership uh, uh, between uh, public and private interests. So it was, like, part government, part private. But the private part was a partnership between Wilson Fisk, Wilson Fisk's legitimate business arm, and... Tony Stark. So uh -huh. I do wonder if, I wonder if the Kingpin is, to your point, in his second rise, has more of these kind of like legitimate arms and his like yeah. with damage control. And then with his more crime related stuff, it's just like a lot more under the surface now. It's yeah. very, very interesting. I can't wait to see what happens in uh, episode six. Any predictions quickly? I think we're going to get a very, very brief reference to the to the big final battle in Spider-Man. Some yes. kind of TV news report. Oh, the, the Statue Agreed. of Liberty is broken or yeah, something. Yeah. But that's it. That, but I think we'll get it. Woo! Yeah. Uh, up next, Spider-Man No Way Home! Yeah! 
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Okay, folks, this is it. We are stepping out of the airlock to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. And to recap this really amazing movie, Rosie, are you ready? I'm ready. I was born ready. This is the moment. This is it. We did it. So we open, No Way Home opens, and it opens right after the events of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, and Peter Parker's life is an absolute mess. Mysterio's reveal of Spider-Man's identity has turned Pete's daily existence into a zoo. He has, of course, framed Peter for his murder, and this has been very effective. The DODC, the Department of Damage Control, headed up by uh, Stewie from Succession, is currently investigating Pete for numerous federal crimes. Aunt May is being threatened with charges of reckless endangerment of a child. Happy, MJ, and Ned are all being investigated as Peter's accessories. May has to hire a lawyer, and uh, she goes out and hires uh, the best lawyer that she can afford, and it's a blind lawyer by the name of Matthew Murdoch. Bum, bum, bum! We called it. It happened. We called it. We called it. It happened. Incredible moment. Ugh. They do such a good job. Like, he's sitting at the table and, you know, he says to Peter, oh, the charges aren't going to stick. But now you've got to deal with a court of public opinion. Bam! A brick comes through the window and on the brick it says, we believe Mysterio. And Matt catches it. He and he says, Peter goes, how did you do that? And he said, I'm a really good lawyer. This is amazing. <laughs> this, the, uh, this, a uh, film, I, I tweeted that this film has like end game levels of, mm-hmm. wow, they pulled it off. Part of that is, you know, this was like, a, this was a, a screening for press and various people like that. But it had that like Marvel movie feel of everybody just being like, oh, shit. Yeah. And one of the, oh, sh- I, I absolutely legitimately screamed, oh, shit, when Aunt May and Peter are meeting with their lawyer and all of a sudden, you know, you see them in a two shot and then they ask the lawyer a question. And then the next shot uh, as the camera zooms back is like him holding a, a cane. And I was just like, oh, shit, they're doing it. It's Matthew Murdoch. We love it. So Mysterio's framing of Peter Parker has effectively uh, split 
public opinion. Mm -hmm. Most people, including uh, our friends at uh, Midtown High, Mr. Harrington and Julius, consider Peter a hero for his efforts in the battle against Thanos, saving the world, and saving the lives of half the beings in the whole fucking universe. But a sizable minority uh, encompassing, you know, conspiracy theorists and the various uh, people who watch Daily Bugle content, which of which there is a large overlap, believe Peter is a terrorist who murdered the courageous interdimensional superhero Mysterio with stolen Stark tech. Uh, because of this, Peter and May are forced to uh, leave their home and decamp to Happy's Queen's condo, where uh, we are reunited with our friend, the robot uh, arm dummy. Oh, I love that guy. I love dummy. Peter, MJ, and Ned uh, all apply to the same colleges. They have the same uh, uh, primary college, MIT, and the same various backups. When Ned and MJ are denied uh, all of their choices, basically, um, and are told the reason is specifically their link to Spider-Man, Peter feels, okay, I got to do something. So he goes to visit his friend Doctor Strange in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Well, colleague, right? Not friend. Clearly not friend yet. They're colleagues. They're uh, brothers in arms, so to they speak. They save the world, but they don't know they each other that well. Yeah, you know, like they're uh, they save the world together, and that, and then they went their separate ways. At the sanctum, uh, we see that a blizzard has recently run through because of an unsecured portal to Siberia or something like that. Uh, we learn that much to <laughs> much to Strange's chagrin, Wong is actually the Sorcerer Supreme. That is the right choice. The drop yes. was so perfect. Steven is I so pissed and I love he's it. He's so angry about it. He's like, it's actually a, it's it's a, a technicality actually because I blipped out for five. Yeah, it's, it, you weren't around. For five years you weren't around and Earth needed a sorcerer's mm -hmm. dream. So it's got to be Wong who is here. Uh, yeah, I love that he calls it a technicality. I will say this. Does it feel, of course, Wong is always hurting for cash. Remember the scene in Infinity War where he's like, I need you to buy me a sandwich and coffee. Like, Wong is always like, I don't have hard currency. That said, it feels a little bit below the dignity of the Sorcerer Supreme for Wong to be taking part in, like, illegal superhero fights for cash. Nah, man. Like, As we think, saw in nah, Shang-Chi. Nah, think about Stephen. All the things that Stephen Strange did. He was such a shady guy to become the Sorcerer Supreme. He's, like, stealing it's shit. Absolutely he's, you know, he's fair. Like, he was just a bad guy. So I'm like, you know what, Wong, he's just upfront about it. He's like, I'm going to do a little bit of an illegal I fight. I this is on the side. He's like, I'm going to do a fight. He's like, I'm training Abomination for something. Maybe he's going to be yeah. in Dark Avengers. So why not just make a little cash on the side? Because Steven's obviously not giving him any money. He's obviously not getting paid by the Sorcerer's Supreme. <laughs> it, so I'm like, go for it, Wong. Here's my take. Here's my take. MCU Defenders, Wong, Ab abomination, maybe Doc Strange, and Ooh. some other weirdos. I definitely think, I think Defenders is happening. Now that we've got this true Kevin Feige doesn't care about using stuff from the Marvel TV and he kind of doesn't mind reimagining, I think Defenders is happening. It makes a lot of sense. So uh, Peter explains his issue to Strange. Everybody knows my identity. It really sucks now. And Strange, with very little persuading, I mean, he kind of like briefly is like, can't you just deal with it? 
and then immediately is like, fine, you know what? Let's just alter reality. I can do that. He's like, yeah, like, we, use this, we use this spell all the time. Like, sure, it deals with unknown realities, but like we've used it to forget like bad parties. So let's just Yeah, and Kamertage. Remember that party in Kamertage that we had, Wong? And Wong's like, no. And he's like, see? It worked, <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> uh, and of course, this, this uh, absolutely you know, comports with what we know about Stephen Strange, a guy whose rise in the camartage like hierarchy, like depended, uh, you know, uh, pretty heavily on his stealing books that he shouldn't have been reading and doing things he shouldn't have been doing. With time. Yeah, just like p- egoist mm-hmm. kind of shit that mm-hmm. Dr. Strange is absolutely liable to do when he learns of this you know, obviously, like, it's a serious issue, but, like, minor in the universal sense, a, a problem that he can solve by, you know, just, like, mind-wiping the entire population of Earth. Casually. Like, he's like, you know what? I'm in. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, you know, but, of course, like, it, the difference between, like, mind-wiping some folks in Camartage and this incident, you know, what we're dealing with now is, like, we're talking about, like, millions of people again. So Strange gets to work, and he's he's performing this very, very complex, very, very... Uh, you know, precise and very powerful spell. And in the middle of it, Peter is like, oh, 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 oh hold on. Did you say everybody's going to forget about me? Uh, can we make MJ kind of needs to remember me because like we're like, that's my girlfriend. We're in a relationship right now. So like, can we do that? And, and Strange is like, okay, fine. But like no more. And then he's like, okay. Oh, oh, uh, Ned. Ned is my best friend. He's the guy in the chair. Like I need Ned too. And then Strange it's still performing the spells like, okay, but like no more. And then all of a sudden it's also Aunt May and then it's also Happy. And then Happy is the reason that the multiverse explodes because he wanted to <laughs> yeah, include Happy. <laughs> and so Strange has to shut down the spell because the multiverse is, it, he's about to like warp reality in a way that he's like actually not sure what it's going to do. So he captures the spell like in this amber uh, geodesic shape. He, and he's like, Peter, get out of here. He realizes Peter also... Uh, Let's drop that he didn't call MIT. He didn't like call admissions or anything. He just immediately was like, oh, Dr. Strange can help by like warping <laughs> reality. And so then Dr. Strange is like, you didn't even call? Like, get out of here. How dare you, sir? Get out of my sanctum. And he kicks Peter out. Peter calls Flash Thompson. Now, Thompson uh, did get accepted to MIT. And in recent days, he has been branding himself as Peter's official best friend. He even like speed published a novel to which that is effect. Flashpoint, like- which is a very good DC <laughs> reference. <laughs> it's a great DC. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> that was really, really funny. Again, another story, Flashpoint, another story about multiversal mm-hmm. craziness. So very funny. Flash tells him, hey, the MIT admissions person was here in New York at this MIT party for people in the New York area who'd been accepted to MIT. Um, but they're currently getting back on a plane. Maybe you can catch them. So Pete swings across town, finds the MIT person's car on the Queensboro Bridge, on the Queensboro Bridge tonight, and is about to pitch Ned and MJ getting into MIT when bum, 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 Dr. Octopus strikes. Hello, Peter. Now, Pete, really fun action scene fight. Mm-hmm. Pete manages to neutralize a Doc Ock because uh, the stark uh, nanoparticles of his suit get into Doc's tentacles and he manages to hack it and basically Bluetooth pair it to his own suit and he (laughs) takes control of it. Um, Pete uh, talks to the admissions person and she's like, wow, you're a hero. You saved all the people on this bridge. I'm going to talk to MIT admissions and I'm going to put a good word in, maybe even for you too. Maybe you're all going to MIT. This is going to be great. Just then a pumpkin bomb hits the pavement 
and we hear that William Defoe laugh, and here comes the Green Goblin. Uh, I, Octavia says, Norman, is that you? And just as a, another fight is about to break out, Strange portals everybody to the Sanctum, uh, and everybody's safe. Back at the Sanctum, where Dr. Uh, Octopus is now like in a little holding cell, Strange lays out the problem. Okay, here's what happened, Pete. Instead of erasing everybody who had a memory of Peter Parker as Spider-Man, your, you know, messing around caused everyone who knows who is Spider-Man to come to this universe. So that includes a bunch of Spider-Man's villains. And so Spider-Man, I'm giving you a job. One, here is this magic uh, golden goop gauntlet that when you spray a, a multiversal variants with it, it transports them here to my holding cells. And two, find all of these, uh, you know, trespassers in our dimension and capture them so we can send them home. It's basically the, it's the Pokemon doctrine. You mm-hmm. got to catch them all. Got to catch and them Peter's all, baby. Like, uh, Peter's like, okay, I'll do it, but... I have my team. It's got to be Ned and MJ helping me. And Dr. Shane's like, whatever, just go fucking do it. <laughs> um, so they go do it. And Peter goes and tracks down Sandman and Electro, and it goes pretty well at first. He uh, manages to, to put them in their little holding cells. But then Norman Osborn, who had, I guess, managed to wrest control of his fractured psyche from the Green Goblin, wanders into May's Community Center feast in search of aid and moved by Norman's uh, vulnerability and his his clear distress uh, and by May's generosity and saying, we got to help this guy. Peter brings Norman to the sanctum, not as a prisoner. And he's got all these new ideas, this new approach that he's, he's uh, considering. And it's something like this. Shouldn't we do something more? for them, right? Then just, like, send them back blind into their dimension, considering the fact that they're here is, like, our fault. We did this, right? It's kind of our fault, like, Dr. Strange, and we do this. Dr. Strange, you know, mucks around with stuff all the time, and he is not really... He's not a fan of this new approach. His thing is, like, they don't belong here. We should just send them back, right? Let's just send them back. What are we even... What are we talking about? And then Octavius is like, well, guess what? Actually, like, Norman dies, like, when you send it back. Like, a lot of it. And then our uh, interdimensional trespassers all figure out that, oh, actually, we we all we all mm-hmm. kind of do die. Literally, the moment, the moment that they're plucked is the moment that they were about to die. I should mention that Doctor Strange off-camera had already captured Dr. Connors, the lizard. So he's already in a holding cell when he, you know, uh, is taken back to the sanctum after the fight with Dr. Octopus. So, uh... Spider-Man is like, you know what? We can't do this. I don't agree that we should just send them back. We should try and help them. Doctor Strange has now a cube that he's put the captured spell in, and if you just press a button, they all go back, like, immediately. Everybody just goes back. And Peter's like, give me that. Steals the cube, and now a chase ensues. Uh, Strange knocks Peter out of his body into the astral plane, much like uh, happens to Hulk in, uh, Mm -hmm. in Endgame. But... In a really cool kind of like expansion of Spider-Man's Spidey sense lore, he can't take the cube from Spider-Man's inert body because Spidey sense is still active and won't let him take it, which is really cool, I thought. Yeah, it's really rad. And then also like 
there's a hint at kind of Peter's innate powers because he just swims his 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 conju his his consciousness yes. just swims back into his spider body and is like peace out. So it's not even just like the spider sense was so cool, but it's also like there's something about Peter where he is a good yes. foe for there's Strange. There's something more. There's something more, and then that kind of translates to Strange puts him in that mirror dimension, which Strange right. thinks he's like here. I'm all powerful. I, yeah, I have home court advantage. I'm here. in control. And then Peter realizes that the mirror dimension is all just geography. And he's like, oh, I'm geometry. really good at this. Geometry, yeah. He's like, I'm really good at this. I'm really good at maths. Like, I can do this. And he and he webs him up. It's perfect. You know, like you would think, oh, strange in the mirror dimension. This is home court advantage. Ha, 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 ha. As, uh, as wise comics readers, uh, Rosie and I would note, oh, true home court advantage is who's comic slash movie is it it's spider-man's movie <laughs> motherfucker so of course spider-man beats dr strange now uh here is where we should say spider-man is a hero but uh you know heroism should be tempered with reasonable caution but uh, peter as dr strange notes all throughout the movie is still just a kid and so peter's decision is i'm gonna take my some of my most iconic supervillains, Norman Osborn, Electro, Sandman, and Dr. Octopus back to Happy's condo to hang out with Aunt May so we can all science a way that allows them to go back to their dimension safely. Um, Peter makes a replacement ship for Doc Ox tentacle rig, which filters out the uh, influence of the tentacles from Dr. Octopus's mind. It goes great. Now, all of a sudden, Octavius is just like his, his regular, old, brilliant, non-evil self this is all going great uh and as they're working on an anti-serum antidote for green goblin guess what peter spidey sense get, uh, goes off and it turns out that at some point goblin had uh, gotten control of norman osborne's body but has been like kind of laying low uh, waiting for his time to strike but guess what his time to strike is now big fight breaks out electro lizard and sandman and octavius all flee the scene norman is just insanely powerful. He pummels Peter all through the condo buildings, down through the floors of the building, into the lobby. It's a great action scene. Yeah, lots of good web action. There's like lots of good flipping, and it's it's really really great. Very brutal actually for a Spider-Man. Very very brutal. Awesome Spider-Man versus the Green Goblin fight. May courageously is about to defend her uh, nephew when goblin remote pilots his sled into May, which knocks her hard to the ground he gets on his uh, sled and flies off flinging a, a pumpkin bomb like in his wake to to destroy peter and aunt may peter managed to shield may and he realizes in this moment that like look at this destruction i was wrong I should have just let Strange send them all back, even if it's to their deaths. That's none of our business. They're they don't belong here. They're in the wrong dimension. Strange was right. May no May is like, no, 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 no. You're wrong. You have this gift. This is your responsibility as the person who brought them here and with great power that you have, the great power that you have, comes great responsibility. You have to help them. And, and this really hits Peter. And then all of a sudden, as her as the adrenaline from this crazy fight that she's witnessed fades, she collapses. And we, re- we realize that she is mortally wounded, much more seriously injured than we thought. And heartbreakingly, she passes. She dies. She passes. R.I.P. Aunt May. And her passing absolutely destroys Peter. Just brings him to his absolute lowest point 
that we've seen in the MCU. Uh, it is, it's just wildly heartbreaking. And we should add, as an addendum to this, we called it. We <laughs> called it. You called that with we did with call it. you called that we were going to get in this movie. With great power comes great yeah. responsibility. And, and they here it did is. a really cool thing where we said we said that we felt like it was going to come from like Aunt May's perspective. And they did that in a really dark way where it's Aunt May who's actually the one who says it. And they even used, we talked last week about like the, the comics accurate caption, which is like, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Yeah. And that's what she says to him. She says, you know, with great power, there also comes great responsibility. So it's even more accurate than we've seen before. And it was just this... It was so good. Like I, it was I so good. I, I love I, I Marissa, so I'm really sad about it. But like, it was so good. I mean, for like a real tour de force acting wise, mm-hmm. because uh, Tom and Marissa make you feel it here. You feel it. You. It is an incredibly earned mm-hmm. and 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 emotional death scene, and it. I mean, it really rocks you. Like, there's. Yeah. Part of the magic of this movie is obviously like it's an incredible wild adventure with multiple like uh, multiversal characters mm-hmm. all like smashing into the Marvel universe in this wild way. But also it's a really grounded like character and um, and relationship movie yeah. that really breaks your heart in a million different ways. It's like it's really interestingly contained. Even this yeah. action is like in the apartment building. And then there's another big action sequence we'll get to, but like it's this really contained human drama. And I mean, I know we'll get to it, but like Tom Holland is at a, this is like a career best. He crushes like, it. He, if, he, he really crushes it yeah, in this. If, He's so good. If he made you cry at, and in, in the infinity war scene, you know, like Mr. Stark, like I don't want to yeah. go, you know, this is he that will get you. He, for the yeah, whole movie. Yes. <laughs> The entire movie, because it really is like a Peter's, mm-hmm. you know, existential like anxiety and yeah. and his his innate goodness. The fact that he just doesn't want to affect other people, like mm-hmm. he wants to be a superhero, but when it spills over into affecting his friends, it's it, it causes him to act. And obviously, in that sense, like nobody has been a bigger influence in his life than Aunt May. He loves her, and this is just. It wrecks him. Yeah. Ned and MJ. That now the the news of that is all over the place mm-hmm. on TV everywhere. Ned and MJ see this and they know their friend needs them. So Ned had at at some point like during this Doctor Strange fight had catched Strange's sling ring. Uh, Strange, by the way, is is trapped in the mirror dimension at this time. And Ned realizes suddenly that true to family lore, he can actually, it seems, do magic stuff. And concentrating on their need to help their friend Peter, Ned says, I, I, I need to see my friend Peter. And he casts a portal and it opens and there's Spider-Man in an alley. And Spider-Man sees the portal and he wait, and he's like, what? And they're like, Peter, come here, Peter. And Peter <laughs> comes and he jumps through the portal and it's Andrew Garfield. Crowd goes fucking wild. Yeah, I mean, see this. Theater goes, it absolutely fucking explodes. I hope that, I mean, if you're listening to this, you've hopefully already seen it. Yes. And if your theater didn't have that reaction, 
Find the nearest theater to you. Find, go see it again. And find the again. busiest screen and go and see it. Because this is that movie. Like we see a lot of press movies and like yes. screenings. And there's ones where you get those big reactions and there's ones where you don't. But that was like, people are giving round of applause. It's like, it's the Oscars. People are like, yeah, <laughs> it really works. Like, when, like, when the portal opens and you see Spider-Man in the suit, turn around. And then it was like that murmur of oh shit this is mm-hmm. it here it is it's it and then when he pulls off the mask it's like ah it was great and then so they're like okay this is weird who are you are you really peter parker they do this is really wonderful scene in which they ask him to prove it by like crawling around and he's like do i need to crawl around i'm already hanging from the ceiling do i need to do all this stuff and mj's like so throwing they, bread rolls at him like <laughs> to see if he does this like peter tingle and if he so then they cast another portal. Okay, let's get let's try it again. We got we got to find Peter. He needs us. Let's do it. And who steps through but Tommy McGuire? Crowd goes wild again. Theater yeah. explodes again. He's he's wearing casual clothes. He's they haven't de-aged him. This is like Uncle yes. Peter. He's he's there. He wants to help MCU Peter. He want he he feels like he there's a spider sense that means he knows yes, that he Peter knows. needs him. And it's just this. I was so ready to go into this movie and worry that it was going to be this kind of cynical, look what we own. But they did this so well. I was like incredibly surprised by how well the Spider-Man stuff works. You know, Garfield and Maguire, but particularly Maguire, they are older, they are Mm -hmm. wiser, they are slightly damaged by their time as uh, clearly their adventures as as Spider-Man has continued mm-hmm. like in their reality past what we know in the movies. So they are th- just different people and they are exactly the perspective that Peter needs. Right. Yeah. So MJ, again, this was done so well. And the chemistry from the Spider-Man and the rest of the cast is like incredible. It's just they nailed this yeah. and they needed to nail it and they killed it with this yeah and they let like toby gets to be this kind of composed adult peter that he never was yes and we learn that he kind of still is with mj in this way and then garfield has this like manic emo energy that's kind of this it feels really true to the character we saw but it's also like a funny meta text on him being emo spider-man yeah, because he's like it increasingly as we get to know uh, Andrew Garfield Spider Man. Let's call him uh, Spider Man uh, Spider Man Three and <laughs> McGuire Spider Man Two. We realize that he feels a real sense of inferiority as he realizes the stuff that the other Spider Man has done, and in addition to, you know, the fact that his MJ died, he wasn't able mm-hmm. to save her. There is a real hole in his heart because of these things he, yeah. he talks about it over the course of yeah you know, and he as, even as we get to know him he's a more rageful spider-man mm-hmm. because he's hurt he's wounded yeah and he even like you know jason mentioned my mj that's actually what he references gwen as because yeah. he knows that's how the other two spider-men will relate to it right so and and he says yeah he's kind of got that spider-man brain like dark spider-man he says you know he became bitter rageful he he stopped pulling his punches. Yeah, he stopped pulling his punches, you know? So it, it's really interesting to see them have so much fun with these different iterations of Spider-Man. And and as the movie goes on, I mean, they do a really good job of, of bringing closure yeah. to these stories. So MJ and Ned lead the Peters to their Peter. The Peters share their story of Uncle Ben, who, you know, our Peter Parker does not have, but who died in much the same way as Peter's Aunt May and became this obviously 
catalytic force mm-hmm. that allowed the Peters to unlock the full power of their heroism. And the two Peters tell Peter, like, this May died for a reason. It wasn't for no reason. It's the same reason that our Uncle Ben died. And so um, this this lifts Peter. And the three Peters pick up where uh, the original science mission picked off. They start designing these devices that will allow them to depower each of the interdimensional trespassers so they can send them safely back to their dimension. Peter then sends a video to the Daily Bugle in which he talks about, yeah, I I did this. I brought these uh, trespassers here. And if they want to find me, I'll be at the Statue of Liberty. I'm hanging out there. I'm waiting for them. Get this box that I... Yeah. And with the box (laughs) that they don't want me to push the button because I will send them all back. I know they want to stay here. So he's effectively lured them to the Statue of Liberty, which, by the way, has now been retrofitted with a a caps shield. LOL. Uh, A big fight ensues at the Statue of Liberty. And we get this wonderful character moment where Andrew, who has, again, felt insecure about his role as Spider-Man compared to the other two and who, uh, you know, failed Gwen, gets to save MJ in this universe. And, man, Garfield, again, we talk about Tom Holland. Garfield Garfield gives it to you. So he saves, so MJ falling off the scaffolding, uh, Peter Parker 616, Peter Parker 1 gets, tries to save her but gets, hit out of the way by the Green Goblin and Garfield recognizing again this mirror image of the thing that happened in his universe swings into action, saves her life and there's this moment where he's like, are you okay? And when he realizes she is, he starts crying and it is, it got me. It got me. Yeah, me too. And then, and Zendaya who is just, by the way, so amazing in this movie. Like we haven't even really like given her her props yet but like, She's so good. She's so funny. She's so emotional. She's so heartfelt. She's bringing that Emmy winner depth to this role. But like Andrew's, you know, he doesn't web her this time. He catches her in the arms because he learned his lesson. And and he's like, are you okay? And he starts crying. And then when he starts crying, she looks at him and she's like, are you okay? Yeah, you good? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that was really, that was the, it the was tearing up. I, it got me like in the chest. Like Andrew is such a good actor. I mean, it's like, he's he's so so good good in this. And there's real, I mean, this is kind of like, this is the real magic of this movie. This is a movie that ties up emotional loose ends from previous Spider-Man movies Mm -hmm. in a way that feels like really, really earned. Yeah. Uh, And that is one of the, just like the big emotional highlights. That's actually definitely something that I think it does so well that I wasn't expecting. Everyone gets to have their moment. I think by this point, you know, Toby's Peter's already seen Doc Ock, yeah. my dear boy. You know, yeah. da, 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 da. there's these like every Jamie and Andrew get to have their moment. There's this, there's this tying up of loose ends emotionally and narratively that the it's Sony wonderful. movies never got to have. It's really, really wonderful and really magic. Uh, so at the end of this big fight, Sandman has been depowered, Lizard has been depowered, Electro has been depowered, and at the end, it's Peter One, Tom Holland versus the Green Goblin, and you know, Peter is full of anger and and vengeance, and he wants to enact that vengeance on the Green Goblin who killed Aunt May, and he lifts the Green Goblin's sled, and he's about to murk him with it when Toby Maguire, Peter, too, stops him. And he's like, hey, don't do this. Like, Aunt May wouldn't want you to do this. Remember what May said? And just like, <laughs> like, like talking Peter out of it, Green Goblin stabs him in the back. Stabs Toby in the back. Uh, and uh, in that moment, Garfield swings down, throws Peter on the antidote, 
Peter one, D goblins, Norman, uh, strange then arrives and he's going to send them back. Uh, but now we've got the issue of as he's about to uh, send them all back, there's now an infinite number of mm-hmm. people throughout the dimensions who know who Peter Parker is and they are coming crashing into this dimension and it's destroying reality. And then this kind of like broken sky, you see, I, I saw Craven. I saw Scorpion. I couldn't make out anybody else, but those were the yeah, big like, two that I like saw. Yeah, there's like a bold-headed Rhino, person who, yeah. there's Rhino, there's, there's, if when that this comes out on Disney Plus or DVD, we'll be able to pause it and see the outlines of these characters because the truth is that when Strange is first messing up the spell, we see the outline of Lizard. So they set up this idea that you can see who these people might be. And obviously, as we know from the comics, literally every single person in the comics knows Peter Parker as Spider-Man. So yeah. it could really be anyone, could be anyone coming through. So Peter now realizes, okay, uh, this mistake miscalculation that that i made is now threatening to like actually destroy the world so okay run the original spell erase me from existence no caveats just erase me erase everyone's memory that i ever yeah existed. he's like not even just that i'm spider-man just of just, peter parker uh, yeah, people will forget that peter parker ever existed i'm gone from everybody's memory and strain is, is like are you sure and he's he gets like, a little yes, bit absolutely teary. yeah he gets a little teary he's like yes absolutely do it so Strange is like, okay, it's going to take me like a minute and a half to run this spell. Say goodbye to everybody now. So he says goodbye to his his uh, alternate egos, uh, Peter w- 2 and 3. He says uh, goodbye to Ned, and he says a really tearful, wonderful goodbye that will, again, just really get you to MJ. They admit their love for each other. It's one of those moments where you're, you know, watching it, I'm like, oh, their love will transcend this spell. They'll remember, Mm -hmm. there'll be some kind of inkling about, like, she'll see him, and there'll be some kind of spark of recognition, and it'll be there. And my favorite part is, like, MJ's like, you have to come find me. Yeah. And if you don't, I will work it out. And if I work it out before you, and I find you, I'm gonna fuck you up. Like, you're in trouble. trouble. This is, you need to find me and tell me what happened. Strange casts the spell, and, and it works. It works. Absolutely works. Erases everyone's memory of Peter Parker. Peter goes to CMJ. Um, and there is no spark of recognition. Ned is there. Ned comes in. They got into MIT. They're talking about it. Peter orders a coffee. He talks to her a little bit. He's got a speech he prepared. But in the end, he can't. He decides, you know what? Our love for each other is there. I love her. But it's safer this way, isn't it? Their lives are happy and yeah, simple. It's, it's it's my time to be a hero. I've got this Ooh. great power. I need to take responsibility and not bring everybody into my mess. Mm-hmm. And he decides, and it's a very tough decision, you can tell, he decides not to not to talk to MJ about their past. He goes to May's grave and there he runs into Happy. Happy also does not remember Peter, but he's obviously very heartbroken for May. And so then Peter goes off. He gets a little apartment that everyone who has ever read a Spider-Man comic will recognize from the Spider-Man comics. Uh, we're going to get broke Peter in his tiny apartment now. Uh, and he begins, uh, you know, looking at uh, police scanners, looking for crime in New York City. And it's time to become the hero that he was always meant to be, truly. Mm-hmm. And then we go to our stinger. Stinger one. 
You wondered no. what happened at the end of uh, Let There Be Carnage. Well, <laughs> here it is. Eddie Brock uh, is uh, sitting there drinking at a bar in Mexico, trying to make sense of this entire uh, superhero situation. Like uh, he's in this new universe. There's a lot of superheroes here, you say? And Danny from Ted Lasso is his bartender yeah. and is explaining all this stuff to him. And just when uh, it t- comes time for uh, Eddie Brock to pay the bill, guess what? Strange's spell sending all the interdimensional trespassers back to their world kicks in and he disappears and he's gone. Along with Venom, they're gone back to their dimension. But oh, oh, wait a second. A small dollop of Venom attached to like the margarita glass remains on the bar and twitches a little bit. So it's still active. Yes, the symbiote is in the MCU. The symbiote is in the MCU. Stinger 2 just a full trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of mm-hmm. Madness. And this is the first, we were talking about this after the movie. This is the first time the end stinger has been a full trailer since the trailer for the Avengers in Captain America, uh, yeah. the first Avenger. And that was really before they'd established the mid-credits, post-credits right. as a classic thing. So the trailer was more just like, oh, here's the trailer at the end, you know? So it's really interesting to see them go back to that. And this was like, this is like a long trailer. A long, big trailer with a lot of stuff in it. You see America Chavez. America Chavez, so much Wanda. You see Wanda in her classic Scarlet mm-hmm. Witch costume. There's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, is she in Mount Wondergal? You see Shumagorath, a.k.a. what they're probably going to call Gargantos, <laughs> we know now. Like, it's it's a lot, and I'm assuming that this weekend or Monday, they'll probably release it. Yes, Once absolutely. people have seen it in the theater and watched it. But the kind of really funny implication about the stinger is, there's a lot of stuff from that What If episode four in there, but the funny implication is, so nobody knows who Peter Parker is, which means probably no one knows why Doctor Strange did this spell that created the multiverse. So seemingly multiverse of madness is him basically having to deal with the fallout of doing a spell for someone he doesn't remember. Because <laughs> everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. why did you do the spell? And he's like, and he's like uh, ah. <laughs> up next, more Spider-Man. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back with more Spider-Man No Way Home. Now that we've recapped this, let's dive into some of these things. First of all, I loved this movie. I loved how old-fashioned comics Mm -hmm. it was. You know, like really old-fashioned comic book stuff. It's the most comics-accurate Spider-Man. Absolutely. Like the pure 
almost hokey idea of heroism and sacrifice and what that means, taking responsibility for your actions, taking responsibility for supervillains mm-hmm. who have hurt you and have hurt other people because it's your responsibility that they're here. Like yep. that, all of that is pure, pure Spider-Man in the most old-fashioned, like, original yeah. 1960s depiction of Spider-Man way, and it felt really good. It's very Silver Age. It's yeah. very, there's these huge, sweeping, emotional moments, but there's also this legitimate, like, funny comedy. The stuff with the Spider-Man, they really yeah. bring in this this humor that is so there. With, with Spider-Man, it's always like, He's broke, which they also play into here, which they haven't really done before, which is fun. He's broke and he's also sad, but he's also like a funny, nerdy dude who can make a joke or do maths and beat Doctor Strange. And this really, I wasn't expecting this to be such a great Spider-Man movie. And I really think like in my spoiler-free review, that was my biggest thing is like, I can't talk about all the things that you want to know about, but I can tell you that if you want to see a really great Spider-Man movie, you're not going to be disappointed. If you love Spider-Man, if you Mm -hmm. love Spider-Man comics, if you've ever liked a Spider-Man movie, you'll fucking love this movie. Period. You will love it. Um, Okay. Some questions. How does the spell erasing the memory of Spider-Man as Peter Parker, how does it work? So I went back. This is kind of based on the one – one more day slash brand new, uh, day. brand new day kind of paradigm. The first part of that is a, a controversial for the time arc in which in the wake of civil war, um, during which Peter had revealed his identity to the world uh-huh. at, at Tony Stark's behest because he was pro registration. His life becomes terrible. Kingpin orders a hit on him uh, at the bullet meant for him hits Aunt May He's at a crossroads. He needs to erase his memory, so he makes a deal with Mephisto erasing his memory. Um, that also erases, like, the possibility that he and uh, MJ would, you know, it, it basically erases their relationship and also, like, eliminates the future daughter that they were going to have. And then in the brand-new-day paradigm, we kind of see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I think it'll work like this because – all the evidence that Peter Parker was Spider-Man still exists. Like mm-hmm. if people, Mysterio's video still exists on the Daily Bugle hard drive somewhere, like yeah. uh, J.J. Jameson might accidentally like run across it and be like, oh, what the fuck is this? Similarly, MJ and Ned could like go in their phone and see mm-hmm. all these pictures of them hanging Who's out with this? Peter Parker. Who is this? Yeah. Now, the way it works in the comics is not only is the memory erased, but if they are faced with, oh, Peter Parker, who is this person? They just kind of will lose interest. Yeah. So if the, if someone shows Ned and MJ, here is you hanging out with this guy, Peter Parker, they'll just be like, oh, that's interesting, and then not care about it. That's yeah. how it would work. Yeah, yeah. That, how, that's how it will work. I think that's a good call because, like, the ending of the movie, which is so powerful, where Peter goes and sees MJ and and they kind of, there's a, there's a something, like a yeah. conversation, a connection, but he makes the choice. That's very brand new day. Where right. she's like, you know, exactly. we knew each other in another life or whatever, but there's never a, there's no recollection of the deal. And so I think Brand New Day is obviously like Dan Slott gets a thanks in the movie. So he this does. is obviously a big inspiration. That ending, I was like, oh yeah, they're really doing it. Like this is Peter uh, on his own. And also, so the really controversial thing about that was, you know, Peter and MJ 
married um the editors at the time didn't allegedly didn't like peter and mj they being married didn't like any right, they, thought it, being. they thought it stymied their the stymied yes. his growth as a character and the wild thing is that these comics came out you know in the zeros like brand new day yeah, was, was like, like 2007 two, or eight, yeah I and, think that and brand out. new day came out in like 2008 and mary jane and peter have still never actually been canonically together properly <laughs> after those comics so I love MJ and Peter in the MCU, but I do think that they're going to use this as a space to introduce a Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Or, you know, um, many of any of Peter's kind of many different love interests. And it makes me sad because I feel like they were so sweet together. But like in a weird way, this movie is kind of something I think is really cool about this movie I didn't expect. We never got a Peter Parker MCU origin, which worked really well at the time because you don't need it. We've seen that origin a lot of times, right? This movie actually works as an origin. We leave him where most Peter Parkers begin. I'm glad you mentioned that because it really is crazy. Again, like when I say like I felt the same way I felt about Endgame watching this movie Mm -hmm. because it's like kind of a miracle structurally, like how they did it. It, You're absolutely right. This is a Spider-Man origin story in the MCU in Five the movies movie of the, in the third Spider-Man movie. Yeah. So not only does he confirm that he was bitten by a spider, which we never right. heard in the MCU before, we also get the with great power moment and we leave him, you know, he's in his broken down apartment. He's got his GED book. He's not going to college and he makes his own suit and it's this beautiful bright blue bright red suit that yep. he sewed on a machine so somehow this movie ends up being an origin story it's wild yeah and the spell is such a smart way for them to basically do what they in ultimate spider-man you know peter died and then yeah. you had miles but then peter came back but the mcu has always been more grounded even in this weird magical space there's lots of good magic jokes in this movie too so i think this is a really smart way of basically you write Peter Parker, the person out now, and you can still have Spider-Man, the figurehead. Yes. And then when you need Peter to come back for that impactful moment, whether it's a, a Miles moment or an MJ moment or whatever, he can come back as Peter Parker. So, I, okay, so I have a question for you. Yes. Who do you think still remembers Peter? Because I believe there's probably one person. There's going to be one person, right? There's going to be the one magical mm-hmm. somehow person that remembers Peter. Okay, so this dovetails into my one note. So there's a brief uh, line of exchange where Stranger's like, you fucked up my spell five times. And then Peter's like, actually, no, it's six. Yeah, six times. Right, so Venom never actually comes into the action, right? We only see him in the Mm -hmm. singer, but he's clearly the sixth. So, of course, like, how would Venom know about Peter Parker? It's probably because of Hive Mind. The Hive Mind allows the uh, parasite to have the memories of all the other mm. like bits of parasite that are across the universe. And like in Spider-Man 3, that parasite knew that Peter Parker was yada, yada, yada. That's how it, they came. So Strange banishes all the trespassers, but this dollop of Venom stays behind. Now, does it make sense that, you know, because it's magic... So you can't really evade it. It theoretically doesn't make sense that this drop of venom remained behind. But what if this venom is the one that remembers? Mm-hmm. Like, why, like, why would it stay yeah. if, if, it, if it managed yeah. to evade this part of the magic, the magic that banished all the trespassers, then p- potentially it evaded the magic that erased the memory of Peter Parker as well. 
That's actually really true because technically Eddie Brock should have been able to stay and the Venom should have had to leave because right. the Venom was the thing that knew Peter Parker. But if it evaded this magic, maybe because it was disconnected from the sentient body or whatever. So the magic, that's really smart because we talked a lot about this like after the movie and stuff. Obviously what Kevin Feige wanted from Sony was the was the symbiote. He wanted, yes. he Tom wanted Hardy, the symbiote. Tom Hardy, you, you called also. There's another <laughs> thing that you called is send, I was like, they're send, not letting that man. Send Tom Hardy back to the Sony They are not Goodbye. letting him in these movies. Dude, I, I love that Tom Hardy was like, fine, you're not going to let me in the movie. I'm going to Venom so hard. I'm actually going to Venom harder <laughs> in this segment than I Venomed even in both oh the Venom God, movies. Oh my God, he Venomed so hard he venomed in the so two hard. minutes. He Venoms incredibly he's hard. Saying, he's calling Tony Stark a tin man. He's dismissing the bartender. He's dismissing his his family getting blipped. He's like, aliens don't care about stones. They just want to eat brains. Like he is going hard. But I think you're onto something because imagine... I think the reason they want the symbiote is it, they could do a Tom Holland, Venom, kind of a black suit Spider-Man thing, especially now he's by himself. But I think that that's a bit, I think it's a bit too close to what they've been doing already with Venom. But if the Venom symbiote venomizes other characters, which is very popular in the comics and has been a really good marketing tool, Marvel sells a lot of pops that are venomized figures and stuff. Imagine if the Venom, whoever gets Venomized can remember Peter Parker while they are Venomized and that they could want to hunt down Peter Parker. They could do da, da, da. Also, okay, this is so dumb, but I have to say it. We don't know if he's still going to be Peter Parker. I could see them like making it where he, his new name is like Ben Riley. Oh, Ben Riley. And, and they do it that way. So he's not a clone, ben, but that's like right. his new. Right. So for those, so for those who uh, are not uh, deep comic readers of Spider-Man, Ben Riley is <laughs> the clone of Spider-Man. And never suffered through Clone Saga. Yeah. Ben Riley is the controversial for the time clone of Spider-Man who died and then came back and is currently Spider-Man right now in the comics. Yes. Yeah. You know, read uh, Cody Ziegler's uh, mm-hmm. issue of the current Spider-Man arc in which Ben Riley is Spider-Man. Anyway, yeah. um, another thing we called that I guess we should talk about because there uh, is uh, Hawkeye is ongoing right now mm-hmm. is you called Matt Murdock in this movie. I wasn't sure, but I called that if he was, it's going to be Matt Murdock from this dimension, no yep. multidimensional Matt Murdock because – Again, his law degree would need to work in this world, and indeed it <laughs> does need to work because he is uh, May Parker and, yep. and Peter Parker's lawyer, although no longer because now he doesn't remember who well, the fuck they are. but he did, I think they did a really good job seeding. He tells Happy, like he says, I thought this was really funny and good as well, where the case is not going to stick against Peter, but Happy as like a representative of Stark Tech, he needs a good lawyer because you are yeah. the adult. You're giving this child drones, like, please pay for your sins so i think we could see matt like as happy's lawyer but really we know that the big the daredevil connections are going to be in the tv shows it's going to be echo it's going to be hawkeye kingpin she hulk definitely she hulk the law connections there with matt are going to be so clear i couldn't see how they were going to do this just because of tonally how different it was but as soon as Charlie Cox was on that screen. I was like, how did this not happen sooner? Because he I just know, it was beautiful. fits in. It, it was wonderful. And they really went for that, like, you know, that recent, uh, the Charles Saul Daredevil run yeah. where everyone really loved. And like his, t- the tiny little red glasses. The, it just it. looked so, it he was just great. fit in so well. And it just made me very excited. It was legitimately two minutes and it was wonderful. Now, here's my question. We're in the Daredevil 
Netflix lore is this taking place? Because I would mm. contend that while he's probably doing Daredevil shit at this time, it's not like all the way through the seasons. Because if this is this is happening, we assume concurrently with Hawkeye, it is Christmas season. We see the Rogers, the musical billboard, mm-hmm. like up in the city. So it, this is happening as Clint is like, and his family are in New York City attending the musical, as Kate is going to the auction. All of that stuff is happening at once. And the Kingpin is rising through the ranks we're unsure at this point, like how powerful he actually is. Is he still just like kind of a, the head of the tracksuits? Is he bigger than that? Is he actually the kingpin of crime in New York? Now, in the Daredevil series, kingpin is established. He's the guy. He's mm-hmm. the dude. So, I guess the question is like, where exactly is Matt in his Daredevil arc at I, this time? I wonder if, I wonder if the the easiest way for them to do it is. Kingpin was in prison like he was in Daredevil and King he is basically reclaiming his crown after being in prison. Ah. So he's on a re-rise but the people who know him know him and my guess would be from Matt just casually being able to just pro bono work for May even though there was obviously some chemistry there we also got some nice May Doc Ock chemistry. I was loving oh, that, that was- <laughs> ODP from the comics. But yeah. like um I kind of imagine that to me, Matt thinks Kingpin is gone or is not on the rise and is able to lean a bit more into lawyerly stuff and is kind of in this false, safe space of like, well, now I can focus on street level stuff because Kingpin's not a threat. Um, Okay. Surprised that no Miles Morales in this? I was, and I actually, I think it's one of the few glaring flaws of the movie to me is that I understand you made a really good point before about them like wrapping, you know, they want to wrap stuff up. Like they want to wrap up these old stories and stuff, which I think is really good. But like, I do think people are going to be really disappointed. I think it seems obvious. There's a little mention, uh, Electro, Jamie Foxx says, it'd be cool if there was a black Spider-Man. He's like, there must be a black Spider-Man in some universe. And it is a good joke where he basically says he thought that the Andrew Garfield (laughs) Spider-Man was black because like- Yeah, because he helps 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 poor people. people. He's from Queens. You know, I thought that was really cool. But I personally was hoping for a bit more than a joke. I felt like maybe the second post credit scene, but I also do think we just got the reveal that- uh, across the spider verse going to be two-parter the yeah. first one was so transgressive and radical and really changed things i mean without that movie we probably don't get this movie agreed that we agreed. That no way home so i understand why sony might not be desperate to throw miles in at this point but i do feel like this movie did set up a new york where miles could exist without peter parker we need a new street level hero but that could also be kamala khan who we know is going to be coming very soon. Okay, uh, final thoughts about this movie. Where does it stand in the Spider-Man movie pantheon and where do you have it in in the MCU pantheon? I think, like, clearly as Phase 4 stands, this is the the movie of Phase 4. This is one of the, this is, I'd put this in my top level of Marvel movies. This was a great one. Yeah, I think it's really, I think it's definitely my favorite Spider-Man movie for me. Like, why not just go all out? Why not? They they somehow managed to pull this off. And for me, it has that balance that we talked about, the emotion, the humor, the action, the drama, the, the almost like the sincerity mixed with that yeah. occasional campiness of the many. And also the other reason that it really feels like a Spider-Man movie is because of all the villains. 
That's like a number one Spider-Man story. That's why the Sinister Six is such a thing, you know? So for me, definitely my favorite um, Spider-Man movie of all the movies, even though I'm still Spider-Man 3 stan, obviously love that terrible movie. (laughs) (laughs) This is Homecoming was my favorite before. This is definitely my favorite now. And it's, yeah, it's up there in that top five for me. I mean, this is like a, I remember when Thor uh, Ragnarok came out, right? And like, just on a quality and tone level, I was like, whoa, like this yeah. is so different. Like this is not obviously a Taika Waititi movie or a Ryan Coogler movie. It doesn't have the auteur aspect, but tonally and impact wise, it feels like that to me, like that next level that kind of adds something new to the MCU. What about you? I completely agree. I, I would have it as my favorite Spider-Man movie. I think it's one of the best Marvel movies that they've done. I think it was the team up movie that phase four needed and mm-hmm. it's just kind of like a magical bit of comic book storytelling that yeah. on the one hand manages to capture what people love about Spider-Man. That mm-hmm. kind of, again, that kind of almost hokey, old-fashioned, completely sincere heroism in the most Silver Age, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, sense yeah. of a superhero who does good and doesn't kill anybody and does their best almost to the point of like being ridiculously idealistic with it. But in this way that felt so earned and true to who Peter Parker is as a person mm-hmm. and the things he's been through. On top of that is this incredible, action-packed, hilarious adventure of riches that is uh, – just a kind of like a feast uh, for action fans, for fans who love excitement, but also like is so rewarding as fan service, as it, yeah. no matter what your level of fandom is, if you're a diehard Spider-Man fan, mm-hmm. there's Easter eggs in here that will reward you. If you just love the MCU Spider-Man movies, there's Easter eggs in here that reward you. If you loved all the Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield stuff, there's Easter eggs that reward you. There's, just wonderful references all throughout, like even going so far as to having William Defoe say with the exact look on his face, I'm something of a scientist myself. Like yeah. there's all these things in there that just reward you for paying attention. Yeah, you've got, and, and there's everything from, you get the Easter egg stuff, you know, on the bridge, the MIT uh, admissions lady, her car has ASM3, which yeah. is a, a big, you yes. know, it's a big Doc Ock issue. And then you get Doc Ock on the bridge. So you got the little notes like that, but you also get these really satisfying, juicy, emotional narrative endings for these characters. Something that I really loved about this movie is like Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man. There's a whole generation where that's their Spider-Man. That's their first Spider-Man. And they didn't get to see what happened to him after this really, you know, harsh moment. They got a Sinister Six nod, but they never got it. And I... I love everything about this movie, but I really love the idea that the Andrew Garfield stands are going to like finally get their moment and get their ending. It is so satisfying. Absolutely loved it. I mean, it, it just, they crushed it. If I hope that everyone here got to see it in a good theater. As Rosie said, if you didn't see it in a theater where people were going crazy, go see it again with that theater because yeah. we were lucky enough, even in a press screening, to have a theater that was like, ready to go crazy <laughs> uh, and just really, really fun experience. They nailed it. Great job, Kevin Foggy and the whole team. Up next, Nerd Out. Welcome to Nerd Out. In our first listener-submitted Nerd Out, uh, audience member Megan Wright gives us her pitch 
for 1987's fantasy cult classic Swords Point by Ellen Kushner, which, uh, full disclosure, I've listened to this nerd out already, and I bought the book. Hey, Jason and the X-Ray Vision team. Uh, My name is Megan. I live in Brooklyn. Huge fan of the show. And my very niche, likely not usable pitch for Nerd Out is Ellen Kushner's 1987 book, Swords Point. It's one of those books I can't believe everybody hasn't read. Like, I can't believe it's not canonical. Um, It's about a swordsman named Richard living in a city that doesn't have a name, mostly in this Skid Row neighborhood called Riverside. His quote-unquote friend, Alec, this degenerate university dropout with uh, pretty dangerous tastes and a mysterious backstory, and a highly intricate political plot that these two men get caught up in and then shape to their own ends. And it would be super campy, except that it's really, really concise. The whole plot takes place in this one city over the course of maybe a few months. The characters are just sumptuous, There's this incredible duchess. And everyone is queer. Everyone in this book that came out in 1987 is like super hella out of control gay. And this was and is very important to me. I found this book at my public library because I was in middle school and I was very into the girls with swords genre, most defined for me by Tamara Pierce. And Swords Point has a sequel called The Privilege of the Sword, which has a young woman as its narrator. And I went to the library to find that book at the recommendation of someone on an internet forum. It was called shirocentral.com. The library didn't have The Privilege of the Sword, but it was in those days where, like, if the library didn't have what you were looking for, you just took home whatever was next to it on the shelf. And so I took Swords Point home. And I was not, like, super clearly aware of my own queerness at this point. I was maybe, like, 11 or 12 But when I realized that these two main characters, these two men, were in love with each other, I put down the book and I ran into the living room and told my parents. I was so excited. It meant so much to me. And it still means a lot to me. That book just, yeah. Um, I reread it. I reread Swords Point once every, like, four years or so. I wait until I've forgotten the plot because the twists are really good and so that I can be surprised by it again. And then I make everybody else read it, too. Um, I know I'm going really long on this pitch, and I know the last question I'm supposed to answer is, what's coming soon in this world that we can look forward to? The answer is nothing. There's nothing coming. (laughs) There's just this singular, perfect, decades-old diamond of a book that you can read in a weekend and that will sustain you forever. That's my pitch. Read Swords Point by Ellen Kushner. You guys are great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Megan. If you want to be featured, send your nerd out pitch to x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions in the show notes. Up next, the end game. Hello, Peter. We're in the end game now. And today we're playing another round of Assembly Required in which Rosie and I will pick our character or item from Spider-Man No Way Home to successfully fulfill a randomly assigned mission. Chris, what is our mission for today? All right, so the mission this week, given that a few of the characters in No Way Home, Jamie Foxx in particular, got a lovely makeover, looking much better than the last time we saw him. I mean, we didn't even talk about... We didn't even talk about... Well done to Jamie Foxx. The well incredible done. retcon of Jamie Foxx 
It's character from uh, Sexy Muscle Electric <laughs> from uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two to to No Way Home. But yeah, continue. <laughs> so in honor of that, the challenge this week is pick a character from the movie. Uh, each of you, and that character is going to take you to the mall for a pretty woman-style shopping spree. The caveat here is that the budget is as much the person can afford, and they pick your clothes based on their style. Wow. Uh, you went first uh, last time, so I will go first this time The as much as they can afford. Okay, well, wow. Well, listen, if you want to go big, that means it's got to be either Norman or Happy because they're the only ones with a checkbook. I just wouldn't feel right having May take me on a shopping spree when her literal job is like community service and running a food bank. These are like money. I don't feel right using money for donations to just be like, let's shop. So of those, Happy is too much of a sad bitch because of his breakup with May. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to hear about it. I just don't want to hear him going on and on and on about May. So, you know what? He's messy. But Norman Osborn, like, let's do it. I think it would be fun. I don't know what I'll end up looking like. I don't know if you're going to kill me in the middle of this. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to launch a terrorist attack on the mall and start throwing pumpkin bombs around. I just know that it's going to be an adventure even talking to you. So, it's going to be, I'm going to say... Norman Osborn, let's go. Take me to the salon and let's get those weird waves put in, like the comics. <laughs> uh, let's go. Rosie, who, who do you say? I absolutely love that. I think you 100% went for the right person when it comes to financial backing. And he had some nice looks in this movie. The purple jacket yeah. with the green hoodie. Um, yeah, I am I just need to say, actually, I, I didn't get to talk about this, but I'm so happy that May broke up with Happy. That was like my absolute worst cursed pairing and I hated it. So the movie beginning with her breaking up with him and being like, it was just the fling. That gave me a lot of joy in my soul. Um, I am going to go the opposite route where I'm going to go for aesthetic over cost because you went for Norman, who's definitely the best choice. I would never choose to hang out with Happy. I don't like him. Um, I'm going to go for MJ because I am a teenage oh, mall goth at heart. Yes. So even if there's only like $10, I know she's going to take me to Hot Topic or a thrift store. I'll be wearing a black hoodie. I'll just look like my normal clothes, but I'll get to hang out with her. I think she's pretty cool. And uh, that would really definitely represent my style. I wouldn't have to worry too much about changing a style, uh, even if it is a, a, a budget shopping spree. That's it for the Endgame. Let us know who you think won and use hashtag XRV Endgame to give us your pick. Well, folks, uh, this was a super fun episode. Big thank you to the great Rosie Knight for joining us on X-Ray. Rosie, where can people find you? Hello. Uh, you can find <laughs> me on social media. Rosie Marks is my Instagram. And if you liked any of the stuff we were talking about here, you can go to Nerdist where there is a ton of big explainers of all this kind of stuff, different theories, digging into what the movie means. So yeah, if you want to do some reading, that is there for you as well as weekly Hawkeye Easter eggs, which I spend Woo! many nights finding those eggs for you guys. <laughs> Uh, folks, if you want to learn more about what we explore in each episode, check out our listener guide to all things X-Ray Vision in the show notes or on the crooked.com website. Catch the next episode on Friday, December 24th for a little holiday mailbag for y'all. X-Ray's got mail. That's right. As we said earlier, our new email address is x-ray at crooked.com. 
If you enjoyed today's Nerd Out segment by Megan and want to share your own uh, thing that you want to promote, that you want to say, hey, uh, people, go read this, go watch this, uh, go pick this up, drop us an email with a short pitch about what you'd like to uh, pitch on Nerd Out, and we'll get back to you. Again, the email is xray at crooked.com. That's xray at crooked.com. Don't forget, five-star ratings only, or we will banish you to the dimension from which you came. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Salt Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Caroline Reston and Carlton Gillespie are our consulting producers. And our editing and sound design is by Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Big thanks to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. See you next time.